A great song, great song as we launch into a brand new series, Lessons from the Land of Quarantine, where we're talking about what can we learn from this really uh, trying time, this time where most of us have felt some pinch, some pain, some suffering. Uh, and, and regardless of the degree, it's funny, suffering kind of hits us emotionally kind of the same. It, it, we can't compare it because we just all experience differently. So what a great song to be reminded in the midst of it all, God is present. So here's my question to kick us off for uh, you all. Thank you for being here today, by the way. And uh, tell me about a time where you have ever uh, felt like you're in limbo, right? Like that limbo space. Limbo like has a really interesting like history, like of what it, it's like the edge of hell. Like it like the word limbo is kind of like, it, it, it refers to an old Catholic doctrine that came out in the middle ages of like the medieval times actually of like, it's the, it's the edge of hell. And I'm not going to go into it because it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a little <laughs> bizarre, but you feel that way. Like you're in limbo, like this is what is going on. Like, tell me about a time, Rod. So I think for me, um, like everyone else um, right now, I'm living in limbo. But I think um, what most people don't realize is part of my work is requiring travel. And I travel about last year, I traveled one third of my calendar days. Wow. And uh, this year I'm on literal standby where every week it seems like I'm trying to figure out whether or not I'm going to get on a plane. Mm-hmm. whether I'm going to be um, partnering with an organization because it seems like week by week, all my meetings get either postponed or um, rescheduled altogether. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's got to be like the edge of hell. Like what? It is. Not it knowing what you're is. doing. It, it literally is. Oh, Kia, how about you? Can you think of a time where you've been in limbo? Yes. Yes, there was a time a couple of years ago, um, my job fell to budget cuts as jobs do sometimes. Um, and I also happened to be six months pregnant with my youngest, mm-hmm. my son. And also my oldest had just finished preschool that we loved, were totally involved in. And she was heading into the great unknown for us that was elementary school. So I just, I had this crisis of, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing when I get up in the morning. Um, And it was just a super dark time. I had to create reasons to leave the house, which now seems super funny. Um, (laughs) But but yeah, it was just a dark time, that feeling of not knowing where you are or why. Yeah. It's interesting. You guys are describing what for some is called the twilight zone, Mm. right? The twilight zone where we live in this space in between. And like that, that old show, like it actually said, I love the line. It said that it was the middle ground between light and shadow, science and fiction, Mm. right? Science and fiction. And it's true. We've all had that experience. We've all had that experience of being in between, right? Of being in between the space where we know what's happening, where we don't know what's happening. It's a tough time. We feel lost. We feel stuck. We feel confused. Um, We feel like just, completely destabilized, you know? Uh, Kia talked about in a moment where she was, her job taken away from her, kids are in transition, where am I, who am I, what's going on? Rod talks about right now, right? Just totally destabilized, going into the week thinking, oh, I'm gonna be in this city doing this work, this, and then to come to find out the whole week is different and has been changed, right? And so this, this space, this twilight zone has been called different things at different times. But in the early 1900s, there was an article written on rites of passages. And in this article, uh, this 
this term gets coined called liminal space, right? Liminal space is that threshold between the past and the future, and it's an unstable present. And we all go through uh, times and spaces that we would think of as liminal space. The word liminal, it's kind of a cool, fancy anthropological word, but it comes from the Latin word for threshold. And it is a great image, right? The threshold of a door where you're going into something new, you're leaving something from the past, but you're not quite sure what's on the other side of that door. I can remember as a kid um, uh, going to church camp and uh, there was this group that they would always sing this song, Beyond the Open Door, there's a new and fresh anointing. Hear the Spirit calling you to go. Like super churchy language. But there was something about that song that always resonated with me because beyond the open door, right? We don't know exactly what it is. We're leaving something heading into it, right? And so we stand in this space. Now, liminal space is interesting. Liminal space can be short. It could be uh, a few days, four or five days. You might go on a retreat of some sort, a spiritual retreat, and, and you just know you're being shaped and you're being challenged and you're being shaped. Sometimes it can last a very long time. It can last years. When you walk through a, a, the death of someone, and that just disrupts. And so if you've ever heard that language, oh, I'm learning my new normal, right? I'm walking into that. And we look at the major, massive, quintessential liminal spaces in our lives of birth and death, right? Uh, and we go through this time. And you think about it, liminal space is really this threshold where the three parts of the way we define ourselves, the way we have self-understanding all get disrupted. So our identity, Right? We oftentimes uh, define ourselves uh, 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 in terms of our surroundings, right? What makes us who we are, our job, our work, our status, are we single, are we married? Uh, our co- do I have a degree? Do I not have a degree? Am I in school? Am I out of school, right? So uh, that identity piece, it's where time is going to change. The way we spend our time is gonna change, right? So when you shift from, I can think about being in grad school where you know the majority of my time was spent in a library, was spent in classes, listening to lectures, was spent writing and researching and all these things. And then when I graduated, I can remember that, that those few days of like in between, you know, uh, when I finished and was graduating, going into my first uh, full-time career assignment, like that was a space where like my time was gonna change. I was no longer gonna be spending the majority of my time in a library or in a lecture hall. I was actually gonna be spending it doing something different. That's liminal space the way in which we think about community crumbles, right? The, who's surrounding us, right? This, this time of COVID-19, the ones that surround us change, right? The way in which we define ourselves and we understand ourselves in relationship to the people around us shifts, right? So you think about uh, the, the liminal space of uh, engagement, right? If you've been through that, you have this period where it's like, okay, I'm leaving this past identity of singleness. I'm leaving this past, like I can do whatever I want to with my time. Like my sense of community was my family, my parents, all that's shifting and changing and it's kind of crumbling, but the new hasn't yet quite emerged. Now, this, this liminal space that we all experience, that we all go in, uh, I, I just wanna say is, it's not always because of negative circumstances, right? A lot of times, the liminal space that we find ourselves in is from good circumstances. The birth of a child is liminal space. A a wedding, a change of job can be a very good space, but it produces a challenge. And anytime there's challenge, there's pain. Anytime there's pain, there's generally suffering. And so I want to say right now that some liminal spaces we go into 
by our own choice. We make a decision. Wendy and I entered liminal space with our family when we decided that we had discerned it's, it's, we're, we're, we're moving to Northern Colorado. Our identity around where we lived, where we were working, our friends, the way we spent our time was all gonna shift and change. And that brought with it pain. It brought with it an element of suffering. It brought with it all of those things, but it was a good experience. But liminal space does oftentimes land in our lap through very painful negative experiences. You know, many of us in this COVID-19, many of you are in extremely painful circumstances right now, being challenged with suffering, loneliness, uh, unemployment, all of these things, right? Just disconnection. There's a, 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 a lull, there's a dull depression that maybe has set in. For those of you that are extremely extroverted, there's pain in the loneliness, in the disconnection, right? And so we go through this. And when we're in that space of pain, when we're in that space of frustration and hurt, we have a natural instinct, right? And our natural instinct is to try and fix it, right? We wanna fix the pain. We wanna make it go away, right? We wanna get rid of it. We wanna control it, right? We wanna control how it sits our lives. So we, we put in a schedule in order for our COVID-19 at home, right? We wanna control it. Probably the most dangerous thing we can do with our pain is to try and understand it. Believe it or not, this is one of the most dangerous things because when we try to understand pain and we don't embrace that there is a absurdity to a lot of our suffering, that there is paradox in our world that can't be explained, but we have to know it, we have to rationalize it, we have to bring it all in and internalize it. That's our natural way of doing it. But that actually will send us into a deeper sense of despair because there is some pain that is just, you can't understand it. And here's what we wanna talk about is that faith offers a better path through what we'll call the mystery of pain. And that's really what this series is about, is exploring some lessons and some ways in which we are finding a better path through the mystery of pain, not a path of fixing or controlling or understanding because that leads to us discharging. That generally leads to us taking our pain and putting it on someone else. So what do I mean when I say the mystery of pain? Here's what I mean by that. Pain is a mystery because your personal pain, your private pain that you experience, my private pain that I experience, the tears that I shed, the frustrations that I feel, the anxiety that I hold is not center stage in the world. It's actually connected to all of the pain that's ever been experienced. That in a spiritual way, in a metaphysical way, in a way in which God works in our world and evil works in our world is that my pain is deeply connected to the pain that's gone before, that my tears are attached to every tear that's ever been shed because there is a connectivity to pain, right? There is this thread, right? Paul kind of gives us this language when he talks about the first Adam, right? And he says, sin enters the world, right? But there is a continuum where I'm actually connected. My pain is connected to those wonderful uh, haunting stories that we see in the book of Genesis of the blame that happens in the garden. And you have Cain and Abel, right? And then you can progress and you can move through these great stories and you just see pain being transmitted and hurt. My pain is actually connected to that pain. That's the great mystery. And it just keeps going and going and going. And we've been trying to figure out how to deal with pain since the beginning of time, because it's all connected. And we have some great biblical metaphors for this idea of liminal space, this space that really flows from pain, that 
Oftentimes we send pain out, we hurt others in the midst of it. So there's three kind of metaphors that we see in scripture that we can get some wisdom as we think about this space that we're all in right now as a global society, but we can also take this and apply it to our own individual private pain and private suffering once we recognize that it is connected, right? And that's the idea of these great metaphors, that there is a connectivity, there is a thread that we see in scripture. And these three metaphors are the valley, the wilderness, and the cross. That when we come across these words in the scripture, we can oftentimes say, oh, go code word, code word, there's a valley here. There's a space of pain transition, the wilderness, there's a space of pain transition, transformation, the cross is a space of pain, suffering, transition, but transformation. So our anchor verse for this series, if you're new to the broadcast, uh, if you're kind of new to Crossroads, uh, our teaching series, uh, I'll have a, an anchor verse from scripture, like a, a, a statement that's worth kind of committing to our hearts, that's guiding the conversation over uh, the summer for us. And so the, the anchor verse for this series, the one I wanna encourage everybody to memorize is found in Psalm 23, and it uses this imagery of valley, this great poem. Uh, you perhaps have heard it if you've ever been uh, in the midst of pain or hurt, and you've been part of a faith community. Psalm 23, we read this because it brings so much comfort to us. But Psalm 23, four says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. I love it, right? So we have this image of the valley, the darkest valley. Perhaps you've heard it as the valley of the shadow of death. Right? And so you think of that liminal space, right? Something is dying. There is pain, there is suffering, there's confusion, something is dying. And I love the declaration, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid of the death. I don't have to be afraid of the transition. I don't have to be afraid of what is being lost as I stand in the threshold, as I stand in this space between. I don't have to be afraid, why? Because you are present that God is present. And, and this is such a wonderful understanding of God. God is present, not removing the pain, not causing the pain, right? Not forcing it, but present right beside us, bringing comfort, bringing comfort and protecting us from the ultimate despair, from drowning in the valley. There is a protection that comes in the middle of it right? We're not protected from it. We're protected in it. And as long as we think that faith in God is about being protected from the valley, we're missing it. And we're going to have a distorted view of God, a distorted view of love. Love doesn't protect us from pain. It often brings us right into pain, but God walks with us, comforts and protects in the midst of the valley that we will experience. And so this is really guiding us that, that this belief that God is present in the midst of this time of quarantine, that God is present in the midst of COVID-19, right? That God is not protecting us from and comforting us from it, but protecting us and comforting us in the midst of it right? Not protecting us from pain, from hurt. I have friends of our family that have, have succumbed and died to COVID-19. God didn't protect from, but I see God protecting in the midst and comforting in the midst. I see love holding things together, working all things out. 
And that's the beauty of this idea of recognizing as a person of faith, I stand in these threshold spaces knowing that God is present and at work. Another wonderful biblical metaphor is the wilderness. So many times we see the wilderness. Wilderness is key and we see it developed all throughout scriptures. When someone goes out into the wilderness, we ought to be thinking, this is a space of transformation. This is a space of suffering pain of unknown, right? So Moses takes his flock deep into the wilderness in Exodus chapter three, and that's where he encounters the burning bush in this great story. And that's liminal space, right? His whole present is being changed. He's being called into something new, but he doesn't know exactly what it's gonna look like. Uh, the Exodus itself, when God brings the people out of Israel, I think it's around Exodus 13, it says that God took the Israelites the roundabout way through the wilderness to the Red Sea. Like there was a more direct path, but God took them through the wilderness. And then we find them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, right? John the Baptist goes out into the wilderness. People go into the wilderness to see John the Baptist, to hear his message of transformation, of repentance, this baptism, this new thing. Their life will be different from that experience, right? Jesus often goes out into spaces by himself, the wilderness to pray. He goes out, he's led into the wilderness for 40 days to face temptation. The wilderness is a space of transition and he comes out of the wilderness and enters into this amazing ministry and work, something new, right? The wilderness, we can think of this space as wilderness. And here's what's powerful about this image of the wilderness. Nobody stays in the wilderness. You don't stay there. Right, if you stay in the wilderness long enough, you actually conquer the wilderness and you, you subvert the wilderness and it becomes a city, it becomes a village. You start clearing out a path, but it doesn't stay wilderness. You can't live there. You're either in and, and then you leave the wilderness different from the experience or you cultivate the wilderness. Probably the, the, the culmination of, this, of these images the space where transition is, is imminent, the space where transformation comes if we stay in it long enough. This great image and this word is the cross. Paul talks about the cross, participating in the cross, participating in the suffering. Jesus used the cross as a metaphor. Quite interestingly, there's lots of scholarly debate as to how could Jesus have possibly ever actually said this? How would his disciples have ever understood this? Because they would have only known the cross as an instrument of torture. But Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross. This was probably at the very heart of Jesus's message, this idea. We see it in the Beatitudes, we see it here, that there is an abandonment of a way that seems right to us, right? You have to give up your own way. And you, he says, take up your cross. Well, I love the way the message translates this passage, right? Because it really gets to the heart of what Jesus is talking about with take up your cross. It says, then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Let me tell you what, the wilderness is a place of work. <laughs> right? It is a place of work. The valley is a place of work. It's where God works on us, where love works on us, transforming us, calling us into something generally very, very difficult, but on the other side of it being transformed. So Jesus goes to work on his disciples. And this is what Jesus says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. So we have to follow Jesus, the way of Jesus. So you are not in the driver's seat. I am. Oh, see, that, that's what we do when we try to control our pain, right? When we try to make sense of it, understand it, that's us, that's our way. That's us being in the driver's seat. We wanna control it. 
We want to run from it. We want to get rid of it. We pass it on. We do anything but have to deal with it. But here's what Jesus, he said, don't run from suffering, embrace it. Embrace it. See, this is the way of Jesus. This is what it means to find and give and live in what we call salvation. It's to stop running from suffering, stop sending it out, stop bringing suffering to other people, but actually embrace it, hold it, hold it. And Jesus says, follow me and I'll show you how. See, this was the incredible message of Jesus. This is the foundation for true and authentic Christian faith is embracing suffering because we know that the suffering that we're experiencing is part of the big picture of suffering. It is the great mystery of pain. So is this just some big theological concept that has nothing to do with normal life? It's like, that's great, Ryan. You kind of hurt my head, uh, but, but what's this got to do with Monday morning, right? Well, I hope everything we do has to do with Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And, and here's why. Because here's the thing, if we, if we don't embrace suffering, if we don't hold it close, if we don't, when it enters our lives, recognize that this suffering, this pain is attached to the suffering and pain elsewhere in the world, that it's not my private pain, but it's actually been handed on and passed on. I'm faced with the decision to either hold it, let it transform me or to transmit it. That's the, that's the choice. So I can take up my cross and I can bear the pain or I can transfer. And, and it matters because here's what's gonna happen. On Monday morning, you're going to walk into some sense of pain. You're gonna walk into some sense of suffering. Now, it's interesting because when we go in through big seasons like this, a threshold season, uh, this liminal space, it's marked by, and it's big and it's weighty and it's, and, and it's pain and suffering that is, it's destabilizing. But the truth is every day of our lives, we're going to face a measure of accusation. We're gonna face words that hurt. We're gonna have bad days and we have a choice. What do I do? Will I learn from this? Will I let it transform me? Will I hold it until it transforms me? Or will I give it away? I don't want it. I don't want it. Or will I embrace it and carry it? Because that's what Jesus did. When scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin, he took upon himself the sin of the world. Jesus showed us that there is a way to take the sin and pain and hurt in this world and not transmit it. We don't hand it off. We don't destabilize people. We don't disrupt people. Jesus never devalued anyone. He didn't let the pain that was being put on him that he didn't deserve be transmitted, he absorbed it, he held it. And we're invited into that same experience, right? To share in the suffering of Christ is not to, to face persecution because we say we're Christians, is to absorb the sin in this world, to take it upon ourselves so that we might bring healing, right? So we hold it and let it transform us or else we will transmit it on Monday morning. And it matters because you will transmit it to the ones that are closest to you. I will transmit it to the ones that are closest to me. If someone says something to me that I think, oh, this is dishonoring of me, or it hurts my feelings. If someone is disrespectful, right? If I experience an, un, an, an unjust way uh, towards me, an injustice in my life, if I don't hold it and let it transform me, I will transmit it. I'll send it off to my dog. I'll send it off to my kids. I'll send it off to my spouse. I'll send it off to my neighbor. I'll start blaming. I'll start looking for it in other people. I'll throw it on them as to recognize that the pain that I'm experiencing, in some way, I have been a part of just passing it on. I've been 
taking that pain and giving it away. I can't just put it on somebody else. I have to actually hold it. I have to hold the tension that I participate and I produce that as well. And I have to follow this way of Jesus of holding it. And I have to recognize that it can teach me that suffering and pain can teach me. It is a great teacher. Success is really not a good teacher, <laughs> right? I heard someone say, there's nothing to learn from success beyond the age of 30, <laughs> right? You need a few good successes in your 20s to get you a healthy ego. And then beyond that, there's really no good that comes. You don't learn any lessons from, uh, from success, but it's in our suffering, it's in our pain that we learn so much about our world, about ourselves. We learn about love and grace and mercy and our need for it. Here's the thing, if I don't learn what suffering and pain has to teach me, if you don't learn what suffering and pain has to teach you, you will just relive it. It will be Groundhog Day over and over again. You ever had anybody tell you, you always or you never? Like the root of that is, well, <laughs> I haven't learned the lesson and so I'm just reliving it. I'm just reliving it. It's a pattern in my life because I haven't allowed the suffering and the pain to teach me. I haven't embraced the mystery of it so that I might be transformed, so that I might be able to recognize those blind spots of where I am hurting and where I am disrupting and where I am destabilizing. And it's in the valley, it's in the wilderness that these lessons are learned so that I don't have to relive it, so that I can, the next time it happens, I can actually hold it, absorb it, let it transform me much faster, much faster. So how do we do this? Well, here's the thing. I don't know, right? It is a work of grace in our lives, but I do think there's something very practical that we can do, right? So I wanna encourage you to create a pain jar for your family to hold your tears and suffering. What is a pain jar? Well, you've heard of a swear jar, right? <laughs> a swear jar uh, is a jar that whenever you say a naughty word, you're supposed to put a dollar in it, right? We have them all over the office here because the team here, they curse like sailors, it's crazy. I've never seen anything like it before. No, I'm just kidding, right? But you, you know this, right? This, this idea of the, the swear jar, and maybe you're, you're just too perfect to have a swear jar, right? But, but you've heard of it. You know, when you swear, you put, but here's what a pain jar is. You get yourself, I mean, physically, I wanna encourage you to physically do this as a, as a family, right? Get a jar, paint it, decorate it, call it your pain jar. And then when you experience offense, when you're offended by someone, when you get defensive, right? When you think that someone has hurt you, has harmed you, when you think there is an experience all around you like COVID that's destabilizing, it's producing a sense of pain, of frustration, write that down on a piece of paper, put the date on it. If you have one pain jar for your whole family, put your name on it. If you create a pain jar for every person in your family, don't worry about putting your name on it. You fold that piece of paper up and you put it in the pain jar and you hold it there and you revisit it and you pull it out and you sit with it and you don't dare take it and throw it away until you've been transformed by it, until you're no longer offended by it, until you've, been, until you've seen God work through that in your life. That's redemption. This is a great exercise. This would be a great thing for, for little kids because little kids are trying to learn how to express their own frustration, their own pain. That's why we have temper tantrums, right? And so when our kids start to, uh, we would say, uh, act out, right? What are they doing? They're taking the internal pain and they're acting it out. They're transmitting it onto you, right? Or onto their brother or sister or onto their friend. You have them write down. Well, tell me, what were you feeling? What hurt you? And then you put that in that pain jar and you say, well, let's, let's hold that. Let's hold that together. And let's see what we can learn from it. 
And so those, those pains, those hurts, those offenses, they sit inside the pain jar and you leave them there until you're transformed. Now, while they're in the pain jar, you can ask some great questions that can transform the pain from stupid suffering to sacred suffering. Because here's the thing, the suffering that you're experiencing in the moment, when you write it down and you put it into the pain jar is stupid suffering. It's pointless. It's suffering for the sake of suffering. And anytime suffering stays stupid, you will transmit it, you'll push it off, you won't learn anything, you'll relive it, right? It's just stupid suffering. It's the absurd. It's at its base level suffering. But when it sits in that jar and we ask the right questions and we allow it to transform us, it becomes sacred because it brings us closer to God. And when I say it brings us closer to God, I mean, it conforms us to be more like God inside of us, right? Christ is in us. And so the more, when our suffering causes us to become more like Christ in our world, it becomes sacred. It moves from the realm of stupid. It has been transformed from stupid to sacred, which means that wound that we've experienced from it has been transformed. And so the way in which that happens is we ask the good questions. So we move away from why and who questions. Why and who questions will keep your suffering in the realm of stupid. (laughs) Why did this happen to me? Never gonna get that question answered. That's the absurdity of suffering and pain. There's no good answer to that question. There's no good answer to the question uh, as to why a loved one dies too young, too early. There's, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to so much of our suffering in our world. It is absurd and it's painful. And so the why is a question. If we focus on that, we'll actually go deeper into that pain, deeper into despair. Who did this to me? Who did this to me? Who's at fault? Like those, it's just gonna keep it in, that suffering is gonna be stupid. It's just gonna produce a stupid wound in our lives. But if we move to the what and the how questions, we'll see that suffering start to be transformed. What is it that God is using this for good in my life? How is it that God is using this for good in my life? How can I take this pain, this hurt, and let it transform me so that I might be love? What can I learn about goodness and patience and self-sacrifice, right? What is it that this can teach me about love, joy, right? The fruits of the spirit. And when I've learned, when I'm learning those lessons, all of a sudden, the weight of the offense, the weight of the pain begins to dissipate. And I still carry it. I still carry the wound. It doesn't ever go away. Those of you that are in grief or have ever walked through a season of grief, you realize I'm, I'm different from this. I've walked through a threshold now, life is new, right? We move past that, but the the sting of it begins to subside a bit. And, And it actually doesn't change us and transform us into bitter people. It changes and transforms us into loving, gracious, compassionate. We understand the wounds of others. And in this moment, this is the great reversal is we become wounded healers. That's what Jesus was. Jesus was a wounded healer, right? And the resurrection said, until I, until I touch your hands, Jesus, Thomas says, until I see for myself. And he shows him, shows him his wounds. Look at my side, right? And it's until, and it's not gonna, we're not gonna be able to be those healers until we can take on the pain, until we accept it and it becomes sacred. So the wounds of Christ become sacred because they reveal love to us. They were part of Jesus's own transformation into the fullness of the Christ post-resurrection. You know, I was uh, doing what you do in quarantine. Uh, I don't know, I think it was last night. 
it was last night or Friday night. And uh, we're watching some television show and I was scrolling through Facebook and I came across this statement on Facebook, which I couldn't believe um, uh, I came across in the midst of this topic. And it wasn't attributed to anybody. So I'm not sure who wrote it. So in about a year, I'll just say, I said it. Uh, that's how you do, you do things. But right now it's, it's, a, it's somebody else. I don't know who it was, but it just summed it up so great. It, and this is what it said. It says, an unhealed person can find offense in pretty much anything someone does. If you ever wanna know if you're living in Christ or living in yourself, uh, ask yourself this question, am I living under an offense? Am I being offended in this moment? Because anytime we're offended, we're, we're moving away from Christ, right? I mean, Christ was able to take all offenses on and be in that present. No matter what he was accused of, no matter what he experienced in physical suffering, he never took offense and discharged it, right? So an unhealed person can find offense in pretty much anything someone does, but a healed person understands that the actions of others has absolutely nothing to do with them. A healed person, right? We could use, it's the same language, a saved person, right? It's that, it's that language of healing, of being made whole. By his stripes, we're healed, right? We understand that what you do to me has nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do with me. I become nearly indestructible when I can learn to take the, the pain and the hurt and the wounds that my experiences produce, particularly when I'm in these threshold liminal spaces. And here's the challenge. Each day you get to decide which one you will be. There's this little crazy statement in scripture that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That is each day deciding which one will I be? Will I work it out? Will I absorb it today or will I transmit it? That's working it out. That's working out the fundamental reality of what it means to be in Christ. See, Jesus took on the sin of the world. He bore it. He did not transmit it. He, he, he who knew no sin, knew no wounding, never wounded, became sin, took it all and showed us a path forward and showed us the way. The way of ending suffering is to absorb suffering. The way of ending pain is to absorb it, to recognize I'm a part of this. It's all connected. And that's, I think, what Jesus means when he says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Jesus came and he's in John, he says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. I don't believe that Jesus here is talking about some life after we die. I think he's talking about right now. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to the destruction of one another. Please tell me you have witnessed that. You understand that. You know that's true. It's broad and many go through that. Many go through that. But there's a small gate and there's a narrow road that leads to life, that leads to healing. Only if you find it. And that is the way of absorption. That is the way of holding and allowing pain to transform me rather than transmit it. And it's of utmost importance in these kinds of spaces that we're in right now. So what is it that God is inviting you into this morning? Why are you listening? Why are you watching? Why are you here? I know it's not because I am just so good looking. I know it's not because I am this phenomenal speaker. It's just those things are not true. But God is inviting you into something. You've given up, you know, 55 minutes of your life so far for this moment. Surely the God of the universe is doing a work in your heart. Perhaps it's to create that pain jar and use it as a physical reminder of what's happening inside of you spiritually. 
I really have this belief that that pain jar can help us to physically, like instead of discharging it to another person, we put it in the pain jar. And, and this vessel, this jar is a representation of me, a vessel, a jar, and I'm holding it and I'm allowing it to transform me by asking the right questions, by listening. Liminal space is a space of listening. What lessons can I learn from this pain? Maybe what lessons can I learn from the land of quarantine is a great question for you to explore as we share lessons that we've learned over the next few days. So I wanna give you a few moments for reflection, connection, and the offering. So reflect, what is God inviting you into today? Connect, fill out that digital connect card. If you have a prayer request, put that in there. Uh, in fact, we have uh, care ministers immediately following this that are gonna be in uh, Zoom land and they'd love to pray with you if you'd like to pray. But I also, I just encourage you put that prayer request on the digital connect card because I get, I get to see those every week and I pray for you and it helps me understand what's going on in the life of our church and in our hearts and our lives. And this is a great opportunity to give through those mechanisms. If you use the the offering envelopes to put it in there, get that ready to mail. If you give online to give and continue to, to be a part of advancing and moving forward the ministries and the good work and the hope that we're doing together. So this song to do all that in is called Dare You to Move. And I would, I would encourage you to understand this song that God is daring us to move into this narrow way, to hold the pain, to hold the suffering, to take and learn lessons and not to transmit it. See, the human experience is pain and suffering. Every one of us will do it. But the way of Christ, the way of the cross is to stop transmitting it and to learn from it, to end pain and suffering, to literally be an end point. That's what Jesus was when he bore the cross, when he bore its sin and the shame of it. And he said, I'm not gonna transmit it. And this is our amazing invitation to do that and be transformed. So take a few moments and uh, just allow God to continue to speak to you during this song.